0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, all right, it's great to be with you today. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Shalom, Hugo, Vaughn, Marissa. Yeah, thank you, Carol. It was great to baptize someone today and to celebrate that. It's so awesome to celebrate God's supernatural activity with His people. And I hope you feel that way as you come to church. I hope you have a sense that this isn't just about learning or about hearing or about singing. It's about the supernatural presence of Jesus Christ through His Spirit. And um, we're expectant that He's going to do something amazing. Um, we're in this series called Christmas in Chaos. And I know that as we deal with this year, chaos is a pretty good word for what we've been through. And a lot of you have had various struggles, various challenges, various changes. Some of you have been ill. Some of you have have gotten through COVID. Some of you have successfully avoided it. But it's been chaotic. But Christmas still happens, right? Jesus still came and so our, our series is Christmas in Chaos, and today our title is Delivering Jesus in Chaos. Delivering Jesus. That's what it's all about. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty exciting that there's a vaccine that is on the horizon. Uh, this week it was approved by the FDA, and some of you may be saying, well, I don't know if it's going to work, I don't know if I'm going to take it and all that. But I, I want you to imagine for just a moment that it's wildly successful. That there's a vaccine And before you know it, you'll be able to actually sit next to people. And you'll actually be able to give people a little side hug. And you'll be able to greet people. You won't have to wear a mask. I want you to imagine that for just a minute. It could be pretty exciting. It could be pretty exciting, I think. When we think about this, imagine what it's going to take to get that vaccine to people. I was reading this week that, you know, the vaccine, the one that's been approved so far, and there's others coming, do you know how cold it has to be kept? Minus 94. Minus 94 from, the, where, from it, where, when it leaves the manufacturing facility until it actually gets injected. It, 94, minus 94. Now it was cold this week, amen? It wasn't that cold, was it? It was iguana dropping cold, but it really wasn't that cold. Minus 94 degrees. So imagine the specialized delivery system they have to put in place in order to get the vaccine to people so that it can accomplish its mission of preventing the virus from spreading. I was reading this week that FedEx and UPS are saying, we've got the facilities, we've got the planes, we can do it. We don't need those other domestic airlines like Delta is already actually specializing planes and warehouses in order to, to ship the virus, store the virus, and be able to distribute the virus. It's a really big deal. Imagine the burden you would feel if you had that virus. Maybe if you're the pilot, maybe if you're the person responsible for loading that that vaccine on planes and putting dry ice around it and all the things they're going to have to do in order to get it here. It's a big responsibility to deliver a cure, isn't it? Let me tell you, it's even more, it's an even bigger responsibility to deliver Jesus. And that's what we're called to do, and that's what Joseph is called to do in Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. He is called to be the deliverer of Jesus, to bring him to the place where people can enjoy him. Now, some of you may have, feel like, you know what, I've got a big burden of delivering during the season. Maybe you've got a, a burden of delivering to try to figure out how to do Christmas in chaos and try to be with family but not be with family. To try to get gifts but actually not be around anybody. Maybe you have a sense of responsibility in your in your workplace that I've got to deliver certain things by the end of the year. It can be really stressful this time of year. I've got to do these things. and You feel really burdened. It keeps you up at night or maybe just as a family. You think about the children in your life and some of the children that are actually grown up and you're thinking, how do I shepherd them? How do I lead my little children or my grown up children? How do I be what they need in order that I make a disciple out of them? And you feel burdened that way. You know, fathers, I think, have a special level of burden as the dad is really called to be the one responsible ultimately. Both mother and father have huge responsibilities, but there's a sense that God is going to hold a father responsible for his family to make sure that those kids are raised in the care and admonition of the Lord. And dads who are godly dads think about this a lot. And they carry that burden of saying, how do I make sure my family has what it needs? How do I work with my wife to make sure my home is a place that our kids can grow up to follow Jesus? I think this is what Joseph is wrestling with as we see this passage tonight or today. He's looking and thinking, this is what you're calling me to do, Jesus? To deliver Jesus? This is, God, what you're telling me to do? Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we're going to look at the call of Joseph. And we're going to see how it's our call as well. Matthew chapter 1, beginning verse 18, says Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, if you've been in church at all, you've heard that story many times. But I want you to put yourself in Joseph's place. Here he is, just a regular guy engaged to be married. He's just a normal person, probably has no real uh, theological training, had not been to seminary, probably just had the normal training that a, a Jewish boy would have. He's just a normal guy, betrothed to probably a very young girl, about to be married, and something miraculous happens. Look at verse 18 again. It says that the birth of Jesus took place in this way, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was betrothed to Joseph. Many of you know what that means. Some of you probably don't. Betrothal is similar to engagement, except for one major issue. When you're betrothed, you're legally married. But you don't come together physically until the final marriage ceremony, public ceremony. So it's like you're committed, and if you were to break that that betrothal, you have to get divorced. And so there's this period in between, sometimes as much as a year, but generally not more than a year. It's a time of preparation. And a lot of times the girl, a lot of times these were arranged marriages, and they really didn't know each other even that well. So we always kind of have this romantic hallmark vision, right, of Mary and Joseph. You know, that they were together and they really liked each other and one talked to one's mom and one talks to the other's dad and, and they get together and just before they get engaged, you know what happens? The old boyfriend comes back like in every Hallmark movie. No, that's not how it was. Joseph probably knew her, knew of her, but probably there was not this courtship time. So here they are, their families have commitment, they've made a public commitment And between the time they're committed and the time that they actually come together physically, Mary is found to be with child by the Holy Spirit or by the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you ask, well, what does that mean by the Holy Spirit? We kind of of blow by that a little bit, don't we? The Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Well, when I was young, and maybe some of you who are my age or older, we used to call it the Holy Ghost, remember that? Holy Ghost. Oh, the Ghost. Everybody, oh my goodness, is it Halloween? What's gonna happen? The Holy Ghost is coming. I'm afraid. This is fearful. And it just simply means spirit. If you know your Bible, you know that the God exists in three persons that are all one, but all unique as well. It's hard for us to understand. It's mind-blowing. It's called the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is of the same substance. He's just as much God as the Father and as Jesus, and he works on earth in various ways. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was present. We kind of think, well, the Holy Spirit shows up right here in the New Testament. He wasn't really doing much in the Old Testament. That's why things were so messed up. Well, no, not exactly. The Holy Spirit, Genesis 1, chapter 2, and the Spirit of the Lord, right, hovered over the face of the deep. Holy Spirit is present at creation. Holy Spirit is present speaking to Moses through, the, through the, the bush that burned but didn't burn. Holy Spirit is present through David who says, The Spirit of God is upon me to speak the words of the Lord. The prophets prophesied by the Holy Spirit. Samson had his power. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Holy Spirit would come upon people. Even King Saul had the Holy Spirit on him for a time. So the Holy Spirit is active. Then in the New Testament we see him Act in Mary's life, almost like a new creation, to put a child within her. And Mary is found to be with child. As exciting as that is, it's also devastating for a marriage that's about to happen. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. do you love Joseph in this? He is what? He's a just man. He's a righteous man. And this means that not that Joseph is perfect, but that Joseph in general, his life is positioned and he lives out his life in a way that would bring God glory. He wants to please God. His life is aligned that way. That's how he lives. That's his reputation. Joseph is a just man, but notice he's also a gracious man. Those two things do not... Uh, they're not mutually exclusive, right? They should go together. Righteousness shouldn't mean that we want to be gracious to people, not that we want to condemn people. You always hear that you know, the caricature of a church person. Well, you know, they're super righteous, but they really make everyone feel awful about themselves, right? No, no. Righteousness, justice, that sense of following the Lord should be the kind of person that's gracious and not wanting to put someone to shame. He says, I don't want to put her to shame. So he resolves to divorce her quietly or privately, discreetly, if you will. See, in those days, if a woman was found to be pregnant between the time she was betrothed and the time they came together, it was appropriate and normal for the husband, the future husband, to divorce her. And he had two options at that point. One, he could do a public court of adultery. Can you imagine what that would have been like? They would actually have a trial, and Mary would have been on trial. He would have only had to produce a couple of witnesses. And the whole purpose of the thing was to publicly condemn Mary and make her an outcast and labeled as an adulteress, probably very unlikely to ever be married. Now, in the Old Testament, an adulteress could be stoned and often were stoned, and you see Jesus actually coming between the leaders of the woman in John chapter 8, the woman who's caught in adultery as they are about to stone her. But in reality, in Rome at that time, they had done away with, uh, the Romans had outlawed the Jewish practice of capital punishment. And so it was unlikely that she would have been killed. However, she would have lived a life of shame. So Joseph says, I don't want to do that. I want to do option number two, which means you only have to have two witnesses. And that's all you really have to do is produce two people that know she's pregnant, and, and you can get a private, a private divorce. Now, everyone would have known eventually, but the idea is that Joseph's saying, I want to limit the pain for Mary. I don't want to cause her any more pain than it's already going to be. He says, I'm going to divorce her privately, do the honorable thing. I'm not going to try to defend my reputation. I'm not going to try to make myself look great. My goal here is I want to protect her. Boy, those characteristics would serve Joseph well as the father, stepfather of Jesus, wouldn't they? Grace and justice. Do what's right, but I want to protect. So Joseph makes a logical decision. It seems like a good idea. It's the normal and customary thing to do. But then God steps in. Has that ever happened to you? You've got a plan. It's a plan that makes sense. It's a plan that is moral, that fits, but then God steps in and He has a different plan. Verse 20. But as He considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In a dream. In a dream. God sends an angel. It's interesting that God sends an angel in a dream to Joseph when apparently to Mary he sent her. If you look at Luke chapters 1 and 2, you see the encounter uh, that Mary has is face-to-face. It's not in a dream. It just is interesting that God does speak differently through different means at different times. And he sends an angel in a dream to Joseph saying, you need to go ahead and marry her because I'm doing something amazing in her. And I want you to go ahead and be a part of that. I I want your, your role is to go ahead and be the father, the adoptive father of Jesus, the husband of Mary. Your job is to help deliver this child into the world. Verse 21, she, being Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Get that. Jesus will save his people from their sins. God doesn't say Jesus is going to save you from the Romans. God doesn't say Jesus is going to save you from hunger or from poverty or from all kinds of disease. He says what? Jesus will save you from his people, from their sins. How does that affect you this morning? Did Jesus save you from your sin? Did did you need that? Did did you come to the place where you said, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm doomed. I need Jesus to save me from my sin. See, so often we kind of get away from this concept of being saved from sin. And we, we think about well, you know, Jesus is good. He wants to give me a good life. We talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus came to make me great rather than to make me like him. And we start thinking about all this health. Wait a minute. Here's what it says. Jesus came to save his people from their sin. I wonder if Joseph, when he heard that, I wonder if he thought, man, that would be great because sin has wrecked our people. I wonder if he thought about the wreckage that the children of Israel had been through because of their rebellion before God, because of their adultery before God, because of their, um, their, their willingness to follow other gods, because of all the times that they wandered away from God and he had to discipline them. The fact that they had to be exiled, the fact that they now lived in the oppression under the Romans, all because of what? Because of sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin. He came to save his people from their sin. It would have been stunning to Joseph because he would have understood that there is a way to deal with sin. It's it's called the Day of Atonement. It's called the sacrificial system. I'm sure all this was kind of mind-blowing for him, but Jesus would come once for all to save his people from their sin passage goes on to say, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's so wonderful to see Matthew's account open with God being with us, and it closes with, behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And and Jesus is coming. God is with us. Do you feel his presence even now? Do you feel that God is with you? It's a powerful, powerful thing. Because of Jesus' coming, the Holy Spirit doesn't just exist in places and, and, and individuals. Rather, it's been poured out on us because of who Jesus is. God with us. In verse 24. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did his the Lord commanded him and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph hears from God and he obeys. And this had to be tough, right? He's going to drop everything and marry this girl. His reputation is at risk. Who knows? He's believing God that he's really telling him the truth about her. He's believing an angel in a dream. And he goes and he takes Mary as his wife, and he names the child, which means he adopts the child, Jesus, which means God saves. He says, I'm all in. I'm receiving this child. I'm accepting the role that I'm given, and I'm going to deliver him to the world. And it goes on in the next chapter, verses 13, chapter 2, verses 13 and following. It says that Afterwards, Joseph heard in a dream, another dream, to take the child and run to Egypt to flee from Herod and his murderous henchmen who were going to kill all the children two years of age of under. I want, I want you to get a grip on that for just a moment. So Joseph gets this command. He's going to deliver Jesus. And one of the first things he has to do after adopting Jesus and taking him to, to Bethlehem, to take him Mary to Bethlehem to be born, is he's got to take the child out of harm's way. Think about that for a minute. This is God. This is God with us. And my job as Joseph is to take him out of Israel to Egypt? That doesn't make any sense. Here's what it says. One, God is true to his prophecy, which he prophesied this would happen. But also, God is going to trust Jesus to human hands. If Joseph doesn't obey, Jesus dies as a two-year-old. Think about that. God is going to trust this precious child into human hands. Humans who will actually listen to him and do what he tells them to do. God's going to trust them with that. Feel the weight of that for just a moment. Because he's called you to do the same thing. He wants us to take this precious child, this precious Jesus, and deliver him to the world, even though the world doesn't really like him. And we're going to have to listen and understand. There's going to be times when we have to flee, when you have to back off. And there's going to be times when you have to go forward, because it says a few verses later, and God called Joseph to bring him back to Israel and to settle him in Nazareth. It's a crazy, wonderful, tremendous story of delivering Jesus in the midst of chaos. See, that's our call. If you're a follower of Jesus, our call is to deliver Jesus, to be a very specialized delivery system for this precious cure for sin. That's what we're called for. You might say, well, how do I do that, Steve? I mean, all you preachers, all you guys talk us all the time. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus. We're supposed to have a plan for telling people about Jesus. You probably are about to give me, you know, some kind of a cute little diagram. So, listen, it's really simple. Be Joseph here. How do I do this? First of all, you just got to receive him, number one. Got to receive him the way Carol did. Receive. Jesus. Jesus isn't something you go shopping for. He's not something you order on Amazon. He's not something you go to a seminar for. He's somebody who knocks on your door and you say, yes, Jesus. I need to receive your salvation. I need to repent of my sins that you came to save me from. You receive him. Have you received him? Has that happened? It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need you. I need to repent of my sin, and I want you to provide your life in me. You receive him. And second of all, you accept the responsibility. As if you received him, you want other people to know. Hey, I want you to know that you don't have to suffer from your sin. I want you to know that you can have an awesome life on this earth because you can be innocent. I want you to know that there's a place that he's preparing for you. Simply saying, I, I, I receive the responsibility because you've entrusted your son to human hands. I want to be faithful with my human hands. And in that, in that you have to accept some risk and recognize you don't get the credit. You see, Joseph can't get credit for Jesus. He's the son of God. Joseph is simply the shepherd who delivers Jesus who makes sure he doesn't get killed as a baby, who makes sure he has a place to live, food to eat, he's protected and he can grow up and do what he was born to do. You have to accept the risk that it may cost your reputation, it may cost you financially, it may cost you a lot, but there's nothing more precious than the Son of God that you could deliver in your entire life. How do you deliver him? You're also going to have to listen. You're going to have to listen and obey what God has said. You say, well, Steve, if, if Jesus would just write on a chalkboard for me what I'm supposed to do and be, that would just be, I would be great. Or if Jesus would appear to me or an angel would appear to me in a dream, that would be amazing. Then I would know, listen, you got all this right here. You got this. If this is the word of God, I would think we would know it really well. I'm pretty sure Joseph could remember that dream forever. God has spoken. He spoke through His Son, Jesus. He's delivered His Spirit to be able to remind us of stuff He's already told us and stuff that we can read in His Word. And as we read His Word, His Spirit speaks to our soul, to our hearts. You've got to learn to listen. You may have someone in your life you had not even thought about. God, would you give me an opportunity to be a blessing to them? God, would you... Give me an opportunity to be able to share with them the victory that comes when I receive your life. Or God, just give me an opportunity to be a blessing at all. But I don't need to condemn them. I just need to let them know there is a cure. There is a vaccine that can protect them from sin. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Have to hear and obey. We have to know there is a time to flee. There is a time to just back off. Some people you've been in Jesus your whole life, you're like, you know, they already know what you think. Sometimes you just need to withdraw to Egypt and let God be God. See, Joseph said, I'm not going to get in the way. I'm not going to be with Mary intimately until after the birth of Jesus because I don't want there to be any doubt whose child this is. Sometimes we get in the way and we want people to know us, and it's all about, no, I just want to present Jesus. I'm trusting him to work in your life. I'm trusting him to do what only he can do. You see, the the FedEx pilot is not responsible for the vaccine. He's only responsible for delivering it. And that's what we're responsible for. God, I, I just want to deliver your cure for sin that destroys people. Would you give me that privilege at Christmas? Maybe there's someone that you can invite to Christmas Eve service. There was someone you can just take a step in a relationship to be a blessing. As a just person who doesn't want anyone to, to be shamed, want everyone to receive grace, just like Joseph. Is that your heart at Christmas? You may need to say, Jesus, I, I've received you, but I kind of have not really accepted the responsibility of Delivering your cure for sin to other people. I think that's for other people do. Those are super Christians. I'm just a come occasionally and watch online kind of a Christian. You see, if you've really received the gift of Jesus, you are the kind of Christian who wants people to know. And you're going to trust him to use you. It's not your job to go out and save everybody. It's your job to be faithful, to deliver the cure. And the opportunities he gives you. Some of you may be saying, you know what, I, I don't know if I have received that. I would love to talk with you afterwards. It's a supernatural experience. It's not something you can conjure up. It's a response to God's invitation. I can't convince you, wouldn't want to. I'd rather just to tell you this is the cure, this is the vaccine, receive it. And know the cure for sin that Jesus is.